G'day, and thanks for listening to the Outpost podcast. I want to give you a little update on something quite significant that's happening for us at the moment. And that is that we are entering into a season of prayer and fasting from October the 1st until the 22nd, which is the start of our church camp. And I want to emphasize the prayer part of prayer and fasting. Uh, We do want to see Jesus more clearly. We want to know what he's saying and we want to be putting it into practice. And fasting is one way that we can clear away some of the distractions, some of the things that would cause us to forget who he is and what he's done and what that means for us. We are passionately about being his uh, apprentices. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow his way and not just our own. And so entering into a season where we say no to something that we would normally focus on, and it's not a bad thing that we're saying no to, but just something that we want to uh, put aside so that we can focus more clearly on Jesus. So a couple of examples for for Christy. She started her fast on the beginning of September um, and she's been fasting from meat, from sugar, alcohol, processed carbs, coffee and some other stuff. And she'll continue that through to the camp. And and for me, being softer, I'm starting mine uh, 1st of October. And one thing I'm fasting from is Strava, uh, which for me as a keen runner can be um, an inordinate focus. And so I'm taking a break. And I just encourage you to consider how you can engage with this and what you can say no to for the purpose of saying a bigger yes to Jesus and to his way. So join with us from the 1st of October in this season of prayer and fasting. Um, You're about to hear a message from our Sunday gathering and we're focusing at the moment on Nehemiah, which does start with a fast. And we just believe that God's got a lot to say to us through this Old Testament book and Yeah, our prayer is that you would be encouraged through this and that it would lead to transformation for yourself, but also for your community. God bless you. Um, So I get the privilege of sharing on Nehemiah today. Um, We're up to Nehemiah 4, and as the kids and a few others have beautifully demonstrated the recap today, um, so Nehemiah is working as an Israelite official at this time, um, the cupbearer in the Persian government. Um, Here's that the walls of Jerusalem have fallen down, um, and God places this burden on his heart to go and rebuild um, these walls. Um, He gets permission from the king miraculously um, in these awesome circumstances, gets an escort like to um, go to Jerusalem um, to ensure his safety um, and success of the task. Um, It's an awesome story of provision. Um, And we get to Nehemiah 4, um, where a little bit of a twist happens. A little bit of opposition comes along. So uh, we'll read uh, through Nehemiah 4 and then I'll begin to unpack it. So when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up on what they were building, he would break down their stone wall. Listen, our God, 
for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people um, had the will to keep working. When Sambalat, Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborer fails since there is so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our, anim- and our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and, and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people at the lower sections of the wall, at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist as he was building and the trumpeter was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued to work while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon even when washing. So it's um, this story about executing God's plan, about doing the work of God in the face of opposition. Um, There's a lot of um, things that we can take uh, from this chapter. There's a lot of lessons that can be learnt, um, even though the will of God in our lives might look different to building a wall. Our ministry areas might look vastly different. Um, and persecution might even look different in our own lives. Um, I believe like God's been teaching me a lot of stuff around this in the past few weeks, um, so I'm excited to unpack it. Um, so first thing I'll touch on is um, talking about the enemy and um, yeah, the ones who are providing the opposition. Um, the enemy is not someone who disagrees with our opinion. Um, in our current day context, um, the enemy isn't someone who just has disagreements with us, doesn't like us. Um, the enemy is the devil whose objective is to destroy God's people and disturb God's plans and purposes. Um, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Um, 
I really don't like cancel culture um, where, you know, if just one person says something that we don't agree with, we instantly cancel them, nullify everything that they say. All of a sudden, they're the enemy. Um, that's not the will of God. Um, the devil can use people to carry out his plan to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, but God's vision is for the restoration of all people, including those being manipulated for evil right now. So our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's the devil. So that's kind of the part of the preface that I'll um, surround today with. So starting off with verse 1 to 3, we see the enemy ridiculing. We see um, a lot of torment. They're, they're, they're throwing taunts out. What are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they even finish it? And today, that's still the same. The enemy loves to ridicule. He loves to challenge purpose and particularly provoke insecurity inside of us. And this looks different for everyone. For Israel, their insecurity was being a feeble nation, for being washed up, for being defenseless and powerless. But the enemy provokes and attacks identity at its core in all of us. Um, and the enemy's voice is always present. The, the enemy's voice was very present when Jesus was out in the desert. Um, but it's like when he was tempting him. Um, but the question is, can we trust God's word enough and root ourselves in community enough to tune out the accuser's voice. At youth, um, earlier this year, we did a fun illustration where we had um, a bit of an obstacle course and we blindfolded Charlotte. Um, she always puts her hands up, so um, she seemed keen to do it. Um, and we had, at the end of this obstacle course that we set up, we had two different tables. And one of them had a pile of stones and one of them had a Kit Kat. Um, and I split up the rest of youth into two teams. And we had half the team that's trying to guide her to the Kit Kat, half the team that's trying to guide her towards the pile of stones. And obviously, there's a lot of shouting, there's a lot of yelling, there's a lot of voices going on, and Charlotte had no idea where to go. Um, it was very, very confusing. But then we changed the dynamic. Obviously, she couldn't get to anything, and she banged her shin on a lot of different things, um, for sure. Um, but then we put the accusing team, the team that's trying to get her to the pile of stones, we put them in another room. So you could kind of hear their voices still. The enemy's voices were still there, but all the more clearer, so loud and so clear, and um, was, was the team that's guiding her towards the kicker. And obviously she got it within like 10 seconds. It was no worries at all. And that's true for our lives. Like, the enemy's voice is always there, but once we become familiar with God's voice and when we have community surrounding us, like guiding toward, encouraging us towards like what the nature of God actually is, like it's as if the enemy's voice is in another room. So then as we carry along in the story a little bit, we hear in verse 4, Nehemiah cry out, Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. Um, it's a really encouraging um, example of just crying out to God um, in despair. Um, he's always faithful to us. It's not like our crying out to him changes his faithfulness. Um, he's always faithful to his promises and he always hears us. Um, but crying out to him is actually um, ministry to our hearts as well. Um, Nehemiah 1, like kind of what made me um, fall in love with Nehemiah in the first place um, was Nehemiah 1. It's a great model of how 
Christians should respond to injustice. There's um, when he hears that the walls have fallen down, there's this emotional outpouring. There's this emotional response of his heart being broken and he's in tears, he's mourning. Um, and then there's a spiritual response. There's prayer and fasting that he goes into for like months and months. And then there's a practical response as well. It's not just like, yeah, it, it, it's actually let's go and do something about it too. I think this is a beautiful, beautiful model. And it's something that really, really challenged me. So go on in verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was um, joined together up to half its height for the people had the will to keep working. just encourage you to work diligently at what God's called you to. Um, it will take sacrifice. It'll be costly. Um, he was in a really good position as a cupbearer. Like that's a powerful position, dangerous position. You might die. But like he's just gone and set that aside to execute the will of God. And then we see the enemy getting frustrated. As soon as they see progress, um, that's a direct threat to the enemy. Um, And I hate cheesy quotes, um, but there's a quote that's like, kicks from behind mean that you're in front. I really hate that quote, but it actually has a little bit of truth to it. Um, If you're facing persecution and opposition from the enemy and carrying out the will of God, there's actually a pretty good chance the enemy's trying to stop you from making progress for the kingdom. James 1 says to consider it pure joy when we are persecuted and that those who endure trials will be blessed. And there's a maturity in faith that comes with enduring these trials and resisting the devil. So then, again in verse 9, we, we see, so we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. Um, again, it's a picture of praying first. First posture is sitting and praying, but also not neglecting practical safeguards. God gave us logical brains for us to partner our prayer with action. Um, God can answer prayers with practical solutions. Um, and remember that we are called to be his hands and feet. Faith without works is dead. Um, a really fun one that I had was when I was doing my honours project um, in uni. Um, I'd run a whole heap of tests. I had like heaps and heaps of data and I was just staring at it for two weeks, trying to make sense of it all, trying to draw patterns together and it really wasn't making sense. So I sat and prayed about it and then like put it into action, just started working away and after two weeks of absolutely no progress, like a prayer and then half an hour of working at it, I had like the whole algorithm sorted and it was awesome. So hands and feet, bit of partnering with action. <laughs> I should have, I know, that's two wasted weeks. I'll never get back. <laughs> and then we skip down to verse 14 here. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and your daughters, your wives and homes. Um, That line there, don't be afraid of them, remember the Lord, um, it's felt like earlier on in my faith when I was like a lot less mature and had a lot less understanding of the power of those words, um, that felt like a really throwaway comfort line. Um, just like, I just remember that God is good. Remember that God is good um, and it's, it's all going to be okay. Um, we've grown to like actually experience in my life that if we 
believed, if we fully believed that God is who he says he is, we'd actually be a lot less afraid and the enemy wouldn't scare us anywhere near as much as he does. If I'm fully secure in who God is and what his promises are and who he says that I am, the enemy has far less angles to get at me. If our God is for us, then who can stand against us? If we actually understood his power and actually understood what he can do, that statement's amazing. We'd realize how defeated and how powerless the enemy is. It's not a throwaway line. Remembering and believing who God is will actually make a significant difference in nullifying your fears. It's had, yeah, real significant practical outworkings in my life. And yeah, I'm going to keep pointing back to it a little bit more as we go on. So verse 16, from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. It's... um. Oh, sorry, one more verse. Uh, Wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. Um, It's a beautiful picture of the church, all coming together, contending, all with different roles, um, but all coming together, contending and rallying in spiritual warfare when a need arises. Um, And they're coming together from far and wide. They're all spread across the wall. And Scotty pointed out during the week that, yeah, there's a practical response, but God's still fighting for them. It's like be encouraged that it's not just, all right, I've got to pray because that's checkpoint one and then it's all up to me. It's like, no, God's fighting for you the whole way through this process. He doesn't just sit back throughout all this. Notice how he calls the believers together too. There's power in unity and gathering together. And then to finish it off in verse 21. So we continued the work while half the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that he can stand guard by day and oh, by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each of them carried his weapon, even when washing to carry your sword while you work. Never do, never do things in a spiritually defenseless state. Um, it's like even when he went out for water, he's carrying his sword. Even when he's washing, he's carrying his sword. So what is our sword? What's our spiritual defense? The word says that it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God in Ephesians 6. And like I've said a few times already, knowing and believing the word of God, believing the nature of God and the word of God is such a strong weapon against the enemy. Something that, yeah, again, I've encountered through this tough season, um, this tough week, has been the power of um, prayer and praise. It's empowered me. Um, God answers prayers and community has a huge part to play in that. Um, Prayer and praise um, has a significant impact on how we see God. It actually reminds us of who we are and reminds us of who he is. It's a beautiful thing. Realigns us with his heart and vision. Um, If Nehemiah loses like kind of the vision and the burden that God put in his heart, like he's going to give up pretty quickly 
on this mission. Um, you know, there's plenty of other ways to make sure that Israel is secure than having to rebuild this particular wall. You know, we can just relocate somewhere else. You know, we're pre- I'm pretty comfortable at the moment. Um, we'll just leave it for another time. It's not too bad here in the Persian government. But God, God's vision was that he wanted the Israelites, he wanted his people to be gathered back together and a strong unified nation again governed by God's blessing. And for that to become a reality, Nehemiah had to build the wall. We need to be aligned with God's vision and plan. Um, yeah, it's like in realigning with his heart and vision, like kind of a bit of an analogy is setting a compass, a direction for our journey through the opposition. As soon as the opposition comes, we need to still know where we're heading. Um, my mate Ben, he led a uh, camp with his year sevens um, a couple of weeks ago um, and led a whole bunch of kids through the Flinders Ranges on a camel trek. Um, and they've got different checkpoints that, you know, they've got to get to this place um, by nightfall. They've got to get to this place by nightfall, all that sort of stuff. And the kids knew where they needed to go, but they've just got this little compass. And they're kind of walking around. And But like Ben was saying, how he, he, he doesn't, you know, 100% always trust the kids. So he's, he's got his GPS there, just like, just in case something goes wrong. He knows exactly the way to get there. And I feel like that's, that's us sometimes. We've got the instrument. We've got actually everything that we need um, to go through. We've got the Word of God. We've got our instruments. But sometimes we forget how to use it properly. We need to go back and have a chat with the ultimate authority who knows the exact way through, who's watching over us, who gives us the direct instructions to bring his vision and plan to reality. So when God calls you to something um, in any area of ministry, prepare for it with prayer. Um, on our like day, what was our first day called? Or the, was it ordination? I can't remember what the day was called. It was, it was a name. Dedication, yeah, Dedication Sunday. How about that? Um, the morning congregation, they were here and um, they really, really blessed us. One thing that really stands out was a couple of the guys coming up and just saying like, can, can we get a couple of prayer warriors together and can we go on prayer walk around the church to pray for your protection as a church and to pray against the enemy and pray that God's name would be lifted high here and that God's will would be achieved and that was really, really powerful. But another thing to remember um, is to not overstate the power of the enemy. Um, it's all good to prepare and all that, but don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Um, so I'm just going to yeah close out on a um, story of me actually coming to Outpost and being on this planning team. Um, so start of February 2018 um, a guy has a vision for me and it's this door it's this door frame and on the other side of the door frame there's this like amazing glowing light and I'm being called through the door but just at, at the door frame there's this opposition he said there's fear and there's opposition like at the door frame but you're being called through it um, and I had no idea what it meant I was like, this could be taken a lot of different ways. I could put it in a, a lot of different contexts, but like, I'm not particularly feeling drawn to any one area. And then um, 
a couple of weeks later, um, Shane approached me and said like, oh, we'd love to have you as part of the planning team at Outpost. And I was at Seeds at the time, all of my mates were, I was really, really comfortable there. Um, and internally my response straight away was like, no way. Um, <laughs> I'm growing in my faith. Um, it's awesome. Love having my mates there. I'm really, really comfortable. I'm really happy my family's there. Um, it's what I've always known. Um, but Shane said, oh, can you get back to me in two weeks? I was like, all right, yeah, I'll get back to you in two weeks. So I like sat and prayed about it. Um, still coming from this position of, nah, it's probably not something I'm really, really that keen on. Um, and like God just revealed to me um, that that vision that had been received a couple of weeks earlier was about this exact opportunity. There was fear of the unknown and coming to an unfamiliar place, leaving friends, leaving family um, to start a new thing. There was opposition in breaking the mold of what's comfortable, of what's familiar. Um, And yeah, it was all in my head. Um, But someone else had a word for me in this discerning season. Every time I read the scriptures, like what was jumping out at me was people that were being called out of a comfortable situation into like an unknown, into something uh, potentially um, risky. um, And God just blessed it tenfold. Um, So I felt so, so called to be here by the end of the two weeks. Um, So said my yes, and here we are. And it's been such a beneficial thing for my faith. Um, it may seem obvious, but God actually wants us to obey Him and follow His plan for His good and for our good. Um, it's not only best for the kingdom, but it's best for us. So three quick steps to summarize everything here. Expect opposition. Um, it's a pattern all throughout Scripture. But remember that you're a threat to the enemy, so don't be surprised and don't be discouraged. Number two, arm yourself ready for battle. Spiritually in prayer, put on the armor of God, but also practically in obedience and like taking those logical steps that God puts on your heart. And number three, don't give the enemy more attention than he deserves. Remember the Lord, remember who he is. Like write down his goodness write down all of the evidence that you've seen of him working in your life be convinced that he is good and believe him take him at his word so thank you very much lord you are good we just give you all of the glory lord we thank you for um your word we thank you for the example of nehemiah Um, we pray that you would be putting a burden on our heart for injustice for um yeah where you want us to be moving where you want us to be serving where we can be your hands and feet um, we just break off the spirit of comfortability, of um, yeah, of doubt. Um, we just pray for a fresh belief of who you are. Um, we pray for a fresh revelation of that. That we'd be convinced that you are good, that you work all things for your glory and for our good. Yeah, thank you, Lord. You are good. You are good all the time in every season. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Stay happy, mate. Stay here. I'm just going to get lucky to stay here. Uh, we're going to worship now. Um